Hello, Seacoast Church. How are you doing this fine Sunday? You look good. North Charleston, everyone's kind of asleep at Mount Pleasant because I asked them how they were doing and they act like I wasn't talking to them. Who's ready to worship the Lord Jesus today? Who's ready to hear a word from a broken person but is speaking about a perfect Savior? How many of you know that one touch from God can change everything? I don't know why I feel like I'm at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church right now, but we may get a little Pentecostal today. Hey, you know, uh, the last few weeks we've been going through a prophetic series called The Tide is Rising. The Tide is Rising. Over the last few weeks we've been sharing how God is at work in his church. And oftentimes, periods of revival are only understood after they've left. And so you're able to say, oh, wow, that was a period of revival, but we want to be a church. We want to be a people who can understand the amazing things God is doing in John's Island or in Manning, South Carolina, or in Greenville, or those who are watching online. We're so glad that you're here. I was at the retreat at Church Creek this week, and it was amazing to see how God is working there. And God is working all throughout our church, and we want to be a people that recognize that we're in the middle of a move of God. When you read through the book of Acts, Acts could be renamed the Tide is Rising Real World Edition because the book is all about how God is moving through the early church in so many amazing ways. And the last few weeks, we've been sharing the big ways God is moving. When you read through Acts, it'll go, hey, Samaria was reached with the gospel, and then it'll zoom into a story. Then it'll zoom out and show you the impact and then zoom right in and show you something really personal. And so I wanted to share the Tide is Rising personal edition in the form of a testimony. How many of y'all grew up in a church where they had testimony time? Man, y'all don't even know what you're missing if your hand isn't up. Because a 60-minute service could turn into a four-hour one, amen? We're not going to do that today, okay? I like my time too. I want to share something that happened Monday. I got to baptize Owen, and I think we have a picture of Owen behind me. He's 10 years strong. He's homeschooled. Homeschool? <laughs> Someone just shouted. Um, and he, look at him, look in my eyes, and after I got to baptize him, he said, hey, Pastor Joel, thank you so much for baptizing me. And it wrecked me for, for two reasons. One, I'm standing in this baptism pool with this 10-year-old because of a decision that I made when I was six years old. And I love the fact that when God saves someone's soul, there's no junior Holy Spirit that comes inside of you. It's full grown. And that young man knows exactly what he was doing, what he's committing to. And I was like, dang, because of a decision I made at six, I'm in Charleston in this baptism pool with this amazing kid. And we're in this day and age that says, what does a six foot two black guy have anything to do with this little tiny white kid? And he sees me as a pastor in his life. And I was like, because of the cross of Jesus, he's doing what he's always done. He's breaking down division. 
He's breaking down socioeconomic class. Because of the cross of Jesus, he makes all things new. See, y'all getting the, the, the rhythm of it. Y'all clapping and talking back. This may be good today. Someone going to get slain, and you're not going to know what to do, and we're going to roll with it. Today, we start a brand new series called The Word at Work. The Word, say the Word, at Work. God is on the move. I got a picture of my family that's about to pop up on the screen, and uh, my family's amazing, and my youngest daughter, who's in the pink, who's jumping up in the air, her name is Audrey Elizabeth Delph. She's six years old, and this month she gave her life to Jesus Christ. She's here in the front row, Mount Pleasant. Could we thank God for what he's doing in the life of my daughter? And Hey, we're in the middle of revival, and we should be giving God praise. Are you giving God praise for all the ways he's moving in your life? We're in this series called The Word at Work. Say, at work. We're going to be anchoring this series through this scripture found in Colossians chapter 3. And it says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. Side note, you know you don't work for your boss, right? Uh, business owner, you don't work for your clients. You, you know that, right? You work for the Lord, not human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Will you turn to your neighbor and just tell him, I'm a trust fund baby. Tell him, tell him, I'm a trust fund baby. Don't worry about it. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whatever you do. Show of hands. How many of you would say your job is holy? About 20% of the room, and that's okay. That's what this series is all about. I got to hang out with uh, some moms a few weeks ago. Every year for, since 2019, I teach a MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers group at Life Park Church, which is down the street here in Mount Pleasant. Uh, I go once a year, and it's the scariest thing I do every year because moms don't care, okay? If what you're saying isn't good, they're going to say that wasn't very good. If they got real questions to poke holes in what you're saying, they're going to say it. If they don't like what you're saying, they're going to talk to their friend right there in front of you like you don't exist. So you always got to bring the fire. So I did this teaching called Moms Do Holy Work. And I asked the moms in the room, how many of you see your job as holy? Two moms out of 60 raised their hand. The moms who raised their hand were actually the grandmas in the room who were hanging out. And they could look back at the days of when I was holding little Jimmy and he's three years old as the sanctified, amazing season of life of being a parent. They also forgot the sleep, the sleep deprivation. They forgot the spankings. They forgot the teacher uh, meetings. They forgot all the tension of it. But they were able to see like, man, those are some really amazing days. But for most of the moms in the room, they couldn't see 
They couldn't connect the dots between changing a diaper and what they're doing as something that is sacred. Sacred and secular. Those are two different worlds that we tend to separate. Sacred, we, we relegate to praying at meals, maybe some devotional time, what we feel in church, and then secular, the real world where the tire hits the road. It's just business. It's just my job. This is how we get things done here. And the sacred and the secular tend to be two separate worlds. And those moms couldn't see it. They couldn't see what they were doing every day as sacred. I, I love my job, and I'm not going to lie to you up here. My job as a pastor is dope. It's amazing. I love what I get to do. I love getting to pray with people. I love getting to walk with people through good times and bad times. I love baptizing kids like Owen. My job's amazing. But a lot of my job feels more secular, normal, than sacred, holy. I got a degree in economics. I was a banker for a few years. I also did some HR work in my past. And I remember before going into ministry, I would look over at that thing and say, that's sacred, that's important, that has real purpose, but this is just my job. How many of you, can you see someone else's purpose more than you can see your own? Can you see someone else? Man, being a teacher, man, imparting wisdom into the next generation in a time where they need it. Well, go talk to a teacher and see what she feels like. Man, you're a real estate agent? Wow, you have the flexibility of time to be with your family when you want to be there. That's so amazing. That would be so much purpose until you go over there and you talk to them and they're like, flexibility? All I do is work. So many times in our life, we see what we do as common while pointing to something else as holy, set apart, special. It's a problem. It's a problem. I asked a bunch of you, I asked about 50 people, hey, tell me the challenges you have in your job. And one guy started right off the bat, I think my biggest challenge is my own lack of confidence in my Lord and Savior having my back at all times. Intellectually, I believe it, but my anxiety and worry would indicate otherwise. Have you ever been in a meeting? Have you ever driven the truck? Have you ever um, started the construction job? Have you ever put a kid to bed? Have you ever tried to find the job? Have you ever looked at what do you do now that you're in retirement and said, man, ah, this anxiety, this worry, I thought it'd go away by now, but it's still here. Our culture, someone else, seems to be set up to push people to the edge morally. So when you are willing to go there, could be another bar or that bar, foul language, bending the truth, you can feel a sense of judgment from your coworkers. Real statement, it can even feel career limiting to follow Jesus. How crazy is that? Don't raise your hand. How many of you ever felt that, man, if I could do it like that other person did it, I would get so much further in life. 
How many of you have seen the wicked get promoted and said, man, it seems like the recipe for success at this job, at this company, in this career is cutting corners. Another person, business owner, said this. For me, the biggest struggle is constantly thinking I have to shoulder everything and take on the stresses of the business. What happens if we fail? What happens if we lose people? What happens if we don't win the big contracts? What happens if? What happens if? What happens if? What happens if? How many of you feel that way? And then before you know it, you see yourself in this secular world and the sacred seems to be miles away. Another person said this. The cancel culture is real for anyone that even initially disagrees with your faith. And it keeps me from using my platform in a way I know God would be proud of. Have you ever felt like Christians are under attack? Have you ever felt like our current cultural climate makes accommodations for everyone but for Christians? Do you ever feel like you are a square peg in a round hole and you're just trying to survive the next day? first responder said this, it's difficult to understand how a God so good and full of love could create a situation that would take a child's life or allow someone to assault someone else physically, sexually. We live out this faith every day, and there's many times we're in moments where we don't feel like God is near. My prayer for this series is that God will transform your thinking, your habits, how you see the opportunity to not just separate sec sacred from secular, but carry the sacred into the secular. The world needs us to carry the sacred into the secular. The whole Old Testament's about this. God trying to share his love. He texted it to us in tablets. Ha -ha. He sent it to, through broken people, and, 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 and there were prophets, and he tried to share the love. But until the word became flesh to dwell among us, people couldn't fully understand the love of God. But when the word became flesh in the form of Jesus, people could see the love of God for the very first time. And the reality is, in 2022, people are rejecting Christians because you know why? All they can see are our rules, our restrictions, what we say we stand on, and our glaring hypocrisy. People don't want to read the Bible that you have unless they know its pages are living through you. That's what this series is all about. We're going to take a look at different Bible leaders, and we're going to find inspiration through their life, through their mistakes, through their humanity, and connect the dots between what God has called us to do. Say, whatever you do. Whatever you do. So this applies to whatever you're called to do. Let's look at the life of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. 
Daniel chapter one. Daniel's one of my favorite Bible characters. 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. My youngest son is Joshua Daniel. Uh, he's Joshua because Joshua, he was born in March of 2020. Uh, he was born in the middle of a pandemic. And Joshua was a leader that was born in the middle of a pandemic of fear. Remember 12 spies? He was one of two who stood up there. And then I also call him Daniel because Daniel was a man of uncompromising character in the middle of crazy circumstances. I named him that. We're seeing none of it, so pray for us. <laughs> I think I'm a false prophet. Should have named him Chaos. Um, Daniel chapter 1. So uh, Daniel is a young boy who's ripped from his family because of war. He's ripped from his family because of war, yet we see something that his parents deposited in him at a young age was the root of his belief system for the rest of his life. Side note, every weary parent in the room, what you're depositing into your children could last a lifetime, so keep sowing that seed. So Daniel and some of his friends are ripped from their households, they go to Babylon. So this is like going from a third world country to the center of then known world. Paved cities, moat around the city, thick walls, height of technology, science. He goes from nowhere to the center of everywhere. And it says this in verse then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Side note, these are timeless values that you'd still hire someone with today. Isn't that right? Nothing new under the sun. So many times we try to contextualize everything to 2022 that we forget that timeless truths are in this book that apply today. That was good. <laughs> um, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. That was Ashpenaz's job. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Don't repeat this after me, but my dad would always say, and a bad Negro. Um, I'm going to get canceled. This is my last Sunday here at Seco, so I'm going out with a bang. Um, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned you your daily food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. That wasn't a punchline. That was reality. His goals were a little bit deeper than your goals at work. When you say my boss is going to kill me for him, that was a real thing. 
Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. He didn't ask for a different standard. He asked for a different way to get it done. I love how he spoke the language of leadership. Let's pilot a program for 10 days, and if it works, let me roll with it. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Man, I love this passage. I love the word of God. And I got three things I want to encourage you with that can apply to your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, whatever you do that we can learn from God's word. First thing is this. Please write this down. Be careful who names you. Be careful who names you. Let's talk about identity for a little bit. Uh, it says this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 7. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. You can't say it again one time only. Don't tell your friends what I said. You can roll back the clip, but don't say it again. Abednego. Gave them new names. Why? Because the names that the boys from Judah were named gave a scent to the God of their forefathers. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God we worship today. But the names they renamed them with gave assent and praise to the gods of Babylon. They didn't want them to stick out. They wanted them to fit in. And then if they were grooming them for leadership, they knew they had to give them a new name. And you know what? Thousands of years later, we still give people new names. And in fact, every single day when you meet a new person, you ask them for their new name. You ask them for their new name. But you do it in a slick way. Hey, Fred, I'm Joel. Oh, man, that's awesome. Hey, Fred, what do you do? Why do we ask what we do? Because we're looking for a new name. Little children, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Be? Firefighter is what I do, but how is that who I am? And when we connect what we do so intrinsically with our identity, then too much rests on what we do. Let me say it this way. We all have a last day for the titles we assume. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. We all have a last day for the titles that we assume. Choose wisely. Be careful who names you. Growing up, my dad owned a small cleaning company. And I was proud of my dad because of who he was in my life. But one of the things I learned that owning a cleaning company isn't cool, isn't fun, isn't sexy. And people, when they found out that my dad owned a cleaning company, they'd be like, oh, cleaning company, that's not cool. And I could see that all my life. And growing up, I was proud of my dad, but ashamed internally of what he did. 
because that name wasn't prominent in the eyes of people. When enough people have the same reaction that are disconnected to each other, it's like, man, somebody got a memo I didn't get. And so when I grew up, I got a degree in economics. I said I wanted to work at a bank because my goal was to wear a suit, have an office, take a briefcase to work, and have a name that people could say, oh, that's great. And 23, I did it. I became a branch manager of this bank, and I was doing my thing, and my dad got sick, and I had to take over my dad's cleaning company. So for two years, I worked 80 hours a week, and I had these huge bags under my eyes. I was always hustling, the hardest season of my life, but it was always interesting every day to live in a contrast of identities. When you have a problem at a store, what do you say? I want to see the... So I, during the day, I lived this world where everyone was trying to get to me. Uh, as a banker, you pull someone's credit, and right before you pull someone's credit, all of a sudden they go into confessional time because they know they're about to see everything that's real in their life. Hey, man, I told you my car was about 800 bucks a month. It's actually $2,000 a month. I'm like, what? It's confession time. If I pull your credit, it's confession time. And then at night, I would pick up the mop, and do the work. Pick up the mop and do the work. And this funny thing when you're on the cleaning crew, it seems like everyone tries to avoid you. When you're on the cleaning crew, there's nothing exciting about it. There's nothing sensational about it. And it seems like everyone tries to avoid you. During the day, wearing a suit, everyone wanted to see me. At night, cleaning the bathroom, everyone says, oh, let me get out the way for you to do your work. But it was interesting in this season of doing something that I was afraid was beneath me that God actually started to speak to me. And if it wasn't for this season that was unseen, God wouldn't have been able to birth a calling in me that you're listening to right now. Because in this season is when God spoke to me that I'm calling you into ministry. In this season, God started speaking to me about talking to people. And I didn't like talking to crowds in that season. I was like, I'm not doing that. I don't have, I'm not a preacher. I, I don't have anything eloquent to say. And so if you have a label in your life that's below you or you think it's beneath you, carry the sacred into the secular. If God placed me here, then there's a purpose for me. If God placed me here, then there's worth with what I do. And I learned that, not as a pastor, but scrubbing toilets. If you have a title that is befitting of you, if you have a title that seems to be prominent, watch out. Last day for your title's coming. Last day for your title's coming. And if your identity's so wrapped up in that title, there will be a day where you will believe you are nothing without it. There will become a day when your sacrifice Things that will outlive you to keep it. Many times to keep a title, we sacrifice our family so we could worship it. Be careful who names you. Second thing is this. Inner resolve leads to favor. 
Inner resolve leads to favor. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the King who has assigned you your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Ashpenaz had so, he gave so much favor to Daniel, he was risking his life for a 10-day pilot program. But that only came as a result of the inner resolve that Daniel had. He's like, you can teach me new literature. You can teach me new language. You can call me by a new name, but I cannot eat that food because that food has been consecrated to other gods. He knew that what he consumed would give him life or death. And he made an inner commitment to walk with his God in a practical way. Your inner resolve leads to favor. Six months ago, I got to visit a small group here at Mount Pleasant, a bunch of dudes who are mostly retired, Wednesday mornings, an awesome time. And I was asking them, how has your faith built you up throughout your careers? Because I've been working on this sermon for like six months, okay? And one of them said, I'm a retired colonel in the United States Air Force. I got assigned to the Pentagon, and my job was to be a liaison between defense contractors, big money, and politicians, big power. And that job is always given to a frat dude, because frat dudes get it done, you know what I mean? Like frat guys can go out and party with the best of them, keep a few secrets, and because everyone's their boy, they get to hear it all, and that's how the job works. But he's a faithful follower of Jesus. He walks with God daily. And before he got to the Pentagon, his reputation preceded him. Day one on the job, the general that he reported to said, hey, man, you're not a fit for this job. I'm going to try and reassign, reassign you and actively try to get him out of the job. And so he had this opposition from his boss that should be for him on paper. But he resolved in his heart not to change who he was because he was at a seat of power in D.C., he resolved to be who he was, not because some defense contractor or some politician. He's like, I'm going to be a man of character. I'm going to be the designated driver. I'm going to ask second-level questions. Hey, you said your wife had surgery a few weeks ago. How is she doing? Hey, you told me you, you, you coach your kid's soccer team. How, how's that? What's going on there? And before you know it, he became a trusted place of safety and did his job better than anyone did before. Because his inner resolve led to favor in the right place. When you get favor from God, it's always in the right place. When you try to get favor from yourself, you'll always be grasping at the wrong places because you think that's where power lies. That's good. Third thing is this. Ruts anchor you in hard times. Ruts anchor you in hard times. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel is now an old seasoned man. He's a proven leader. He's been through some fires, literally. And new, new king, same narcissism. New king, same problems. New king, same adversity. And the king saw Daniel, didn't believe what he believed, but said, man, everything he touches is fire. And he had this plan to make him ruler of everything underneath him. 
Well, the opposition came and said, man, we can't find anything wrong with his work. The only thing we could do is limit him with his faith. And they try to limit him with his faith, make this crazy rule, the retribution of it. You should get thrown in the lion's den. That's a big deal. And it says this in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, this, this new law about his faith, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. What was his rut? Three times a day, get on his knees and pray to his God. So when the hard times hit, he knew what rut would anchor him. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. What are the ruts in your life? Let's talk about rhythms. What are the rhythms in your life that will sustain you for the storm? One of my mentors told me recently, he said, hey, I love coming to church. I've been coming to church for 50 years, and church is great. It's encouraging, exciting, but at best, church is a healthy meal for Sunday. But for me, this is what my mentor was saying, but for me to do what he's called to do, I got to feed my faith more than that. And the same with you. You got to feed your faith with the gift of prayer, not just for your food, but for a deeper connection with the power that can change everything. You got to get in His Word. And for every single believer, I want to remind you and encourage you that the Word of God is easy to get into if you just make it a habit, if you just make it a system, if you just get some friends around you and say, how do we open this thing together? And you hold each other accountable and this word will give you life and it'll feed your faith like never before. What are the ruts in your life that will anchor you in hard times? I love Netflix too, but it's not a place I can run to for strength. That bottle can only do so much for you. It'll make you forget tonight, but tomorrow the problem's still there with a headache. So that's what this series is about. My prayer is that at the end of this series, God will light a fire for what you're called to do every single day. Whatever you do, do it as under the Lord. Can I take a moment to pray for you? Father, your presence is in this place. And I believe that this year you are deploying your believers into jobs, into mission fields that no church could ever go. I pray that they will be strengthened by your love, by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.